What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Real Life Community Church Podcast. I am your host, Chris May, and I serve here at Real Life as the lead pastor. And our church's mission is really simple. It is to equip people to be real followers of Jesus. And in this, our aim through this podcast is to help our listeners learn to glorify God in every area of life, not just on Sunday mornings. Marriage is one of the facets of life that we love to help people grow in, and we are fortunate enough to have with us today on the podcast a really neat guy who is new to real life. His name is Don Nguyen, and he can offer us a lot of great insight on this subject. Don is a graduate of EKU. He has served in the medical field for many years, and now he and his wife, Lynn, serve as presenters for a ministry called Marriage Encounter, where they have taught countless couples how to have joy-filled, God-glorifying marriages. If you're like me, you love a good story, and listen to me, Don has one. In the 1990s, it would seem that Don and Lynn's marriage was completely over with no hope. He left home actually in 1994, but by God's abundant grace, Don returned in 1997 and experienced reconciliation with his bride. If you are going through turmoil in your marriage, if you feel like your relationship with your spouse is essentially over, you will be so encouraged by Don's testimony. Don, it is great to have you on the podcast today. How are you? Fine, Pastor. How you doing? Doing very well on this uh, cold fall afternoon. Typical November in Kentucky. I'm having trouble adjusting to, to losing weight. I'm cold all the time. I've dropped about 18 pounds and I am freezing all the time. So I'm trying to adjust to that. You've lost your fat layer. That's why. That's right. That's right. I should have waited till summer, right? <laughs> right. Our wives were just on a women's retreat. I know that you were probably as lost as I was without my wife. Well, let me tell you though what she said when she come back. She loved the weekend. She said it was great to get to know the ladies, and they just had a barrel of fun. So she really enjoyed it. I, however, did not enjoy it as much. Uh, I, I did microwave some food she had already cooked, so she left me well prepared. Right. That's a champion wife right there. Amen, brother. Tell us a little more about Lynn. I hear that she has really a, a desire to, to do some architecture. She's really involved in that, enjoys designing things, and I know she's crafty, too. She <laughs> actually made us a couple of pillows since you've been here at our church. She loves to embroider and loves to make things and give them away. Right. She does. Well, actually, her dad was an architect. Okay. Worked in Chicago and was uh, worked on the um, Lake Point Tower. Oh, wow. Uh, so that's why she got involved in architect. In fact, she kind of designed and had her house built uh, when I was not much of a part of it. So, okay. Yeah, and I've heard it's an absolutely beautiful house. Uh, it's out in the country along the Kentucky River, and we really enjoy it, yes. So, Don, you and your wife, Lynn, are brand new to Real Life Community Church. What's it been? It's been a few months now, right? First uh, of August. First of August. Uh-huh. August. You are a real champion of our church, and I so appreciate that. I know you love the Lord, and it seems like you are just a great fit within this community. What is it you really love about Real Life? Uh, I like the name, Real Life, because you know when people hear our story, we think they think, well, that is real life. And then uh, there's just a lot of young people here, uh, young people that really love the Lord and uh, really love the uh, the musicians here. Oh my goodness. Uh, love the preaching. It's just, uh, and the people are friendly. Just uh, We feel home here. In a short amount of time, we just feel at home. 
Amen. Well, we're certainly glad to have you a part of our real life community. Let's jump in here. Before we get into the subject of marriage, which I want to talk in depth about today, I want to talk to you about another facet of your life. So Christmas is right around the corner, and you are busy, I hear, around the holidays. And now you have grown out, for all our listeners, I'll explain this, this authentic, manly, white beard that bears a striking resemblance to a man who is really popular around the holidays. And let me give a spoiler alert. If you are listening with kids around, you may want to pause the podcast and pick it back up later. But what does the holiday season look like for you? Why the white beard? Well, um, I do uh, I do Santa. Uh, I know for some folks that's um, kind of like an oxymoron. How can you be a Christian and be a Santa? But um, it all started, I guess, when they needed a Santa for the hospital in Cynthiana. And I wore a fake beard the first time and kind of wore it at different places and the kids just uh they weren't i would say enthused yeah so the following year i thought you know i'm going to grow a real beard and see what happens and also about that time i did my first um, dsac party now dsac is down syndrome association of central kentucky okay and they had uh, didn't have a lot of kids there but uh over the years, it has really picked up, and that has been my favorite. Uh, those kids just love on you, and just they just just melt your heart. That and UK Children's Hospital, and all the places we visit, they just melt your heart. And this is why I do this. I grow the beer right. just for the children. Yeah, and you do something really neat. You shared with me that you, you actually pray for the kids. You don't just take requests for gifts, right? <laughs> Absolutely. I pray for them. And, and uh, one time I was at a soldier's a Christmas party and little girl. I got a lot of, I got a lot of stories that make you cry. Yeah. Um, but this one little girl at the soldiers' party, she says, um, "I just want my daddy to come home." Does that break mm. your heart? That's, so I said, "You know, honey, it's heart wrenching. Let's, let's pray to Jesus and see if they can't have that can't happen. Or, you know, see if it will happen." So we prayed and um, it was fine. Right. And another story with Santa, they uh, they'll say, "Now Jimmy's been mean. Are you going to bring him presents?" And I said, "Well, I forgive Jimmy. Why can you forgive Jimmy?" I said, "Well, if you got Jesus in your heart, you can forgive anybody." Yeah, what a great opportunity to to plant seeds, right? Yeah, of, of, and, of the gospel. That's incredible. And when they hear Santa talking about Jesus, that means something. It, it, it does, and that, and that brings me to something else I want to talk about in, in the same vein. We, we plan to have Santa make a cameo appearance in our kids' Christmas play in a Sunday morning service. Now, I know this can be a really, really controversial <laughs> issue. Mm-hmm. And let me say this. Christmas is emphatically about Christ. It's about Jesus. Mm-hmm. We believe that at this church. But that being said... If we can use Santa, someone who the kids would recognize and love, to point people on beyond Santa Claus to Christ, I'm really all for integrating this into our church service. So what are your thoughts on this issue? I struggled at first, okay. uh, but after seeing the kids, especially at UK Children's Hospital, yeah, um, I've been, we've been there and the nurse would go in and say, do you want Santa to come and visit? And and they'll shake their head yes, and right. and Meg says, you know, well, I'm surprised because this little girl has been here three weeks and she will not allow anybody in her room. But uh, they actually allowed me to go in the room. She hugged me, and Meg started crying. She right. said, that's the first time that little girl smiled in three weeks. Oh, wow. So it's yeah. hard not to get emotional when you talk right. about things that way. So, um, 
But I do. I, I point them to Jesus and not to Santa. You know, you can use this as a platform just to really be a powerful witness. And again, just planting those little seeds, I think, is incredible. So you have a, an incredible ministry aimed at helping married couples kind of strengthen their relationships and glorify God in their relationships. So tell us what your ministry is about. We present for Marriage Restored, which is under the uh, heading of Assemblies of God. Okay. There's also have a Marriage Encounter, and Marriage Encounter is a weekend where couples can reconnect and kind of uh, just you know, work as one again rather than Never, uh, being separated so much. Right. Marriage Restored, which we present, is more for couples who are struggling uh, either because of adultery, uh, pornography, alcohol abuse, drug abuse, gambling, uh, maybe even blended family issues, or maybe just lack of communication. Um, there's a wide variety of why couples attend Marriage Restored, uh, but we help them uh, reconnect uh, and stay married. I know that's an incredible ministry, and I've heard some of your stories and of just some of the, the people that you've been able to help out through this. And one of the things that I, I love about uh, you and your wife is your transparency. Because I, I grew up where you didn't have a lot of transparency in the church. Uh, people tried to act a lot holier than they actually were. We all have issues. Would you agree? Amen, brother. And and so it, in, in that... It's important to understand that other people struggle as well. If if I don't know your struggle, if I don't know you struggle, then you're not going to be of much help to me because I don't think we can relate to one another. And so I think transparency is vital. As a matter of fact, that's why we changed the, the name of our church to Real Life. I just said, let's meet people where they are. Let's make it. Let's create an atmosphere where it's okay not to be okay. We don't want you to stay not okay. We want to help you get to where you need to be, where God would want you to be. But we want to meet people where they are. And so even from the pulpit, I try to be as transparent as I can. With Even when I've spoken on marriage, for instance, you know, my wife and I have had tons of marriage problems. We were on the verge of divorce uh, several years ago. So I, I try to be really transparent with, with people so that when I share my story now and say, well, we actually have a really good marriage now, <laughs> That gives them hope in their situation. You have been so open and honest about your powerful testimony within your marriage. So do you mind sharing a little bit with our listeners? Oh, absolutely. I uh, was working uh, down in, in Harlan County and uh, actually began to look beyond my borders and, and contemplating about some things. And like anything else, Chris, if you if you think too long about it, you it can become this obsession. And if it becomes an obsession, then it can become a reality. And uh, so I, I left home. I, I, I began a, a relationship with another woman. I left home. I was gone two and a half years. I was determined I would not return home. Mm-hmm. Uh, even told Lynn I would not be returning home. Um, but during that time I was away, she was praying a lot. But she started changing the way she prayed. She used to pray that I that bring him home, bring him home, God. Well, she changed, and she said, uh, just save his soul. Whether he comes home or not, you know, forgive him, save his soul. And, uh, and she said she had, for, by the time I come back home, she had already forgiven me mm. before I asked for it. Wow. Who's that sound like? Wow. <laughs> yeah, Jesus. Jesus Christ. So, yeah. um, and actually, you know, I just like, I, I, I was outside one night, and a long walk, and I just looked up, and I said, God, speak to me. Tell me what to do. Just a strong voice, go home. I thought, how can I go home? I've been mm-hmm. going too long. 
But I went home and um, we had a lot of healing to do. And then we heard this concept of restored marriages. God impressed us to get involved. We contacted Assemblies of God, see what they had, and contacted Gary and Juanita Thayer from uh, Lafayette, Indiana. They headed up that part, and uh, and I told my story to Gary, and he said, "Well, you'll make a great presenter because you've been through a lot." Yeah, yeah. I said, "Yeah, but I caused it." Now that I can share that of of the pain and misery in our marriage, I can also share the renewal and joy in our marriage. Because everybody goes through phases in their marriage. Right. I mean, we teach there's three basic phases. Romance. Who don't like their romance, you right. know? Then, but then you have disillusionment and misery, and then renewal and joy. So we help couples go through that process on the weekend. I know that your story is helping a lot of people and giving them hope in their own marriage. Let, let me just go back just for a moment. Sure. When you left, I know the Bible talks about there being pleasure in sin for a season. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there is a part of sin that feels really good for a moment. Did you experience some of that? I mean, did it feel fun, exciting when you were living in that kind of other relationship? Oh, absolutely. Uh, it, was, it, it was that uh, eros love, that right. romantic, that passion love, but, you know, that don't last very long. It, it doesn't. It burns out. W- when did conviction set in? Actually, I would uh, say, and I don't know the time frame, but it, it seemed like maybe six months it was just, it was, it was heavy on, on me. But I didn't know what to do. And I thought, well, this will pass. But it didn't pass. And uh, one time I even had uh, talked to Lynn and uh, I was on the phone. I said, okay, are, 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 you, are you praying for me? She says, yeah. You want me to quit? And I struggled because I didn't want her to quit because right. I thought, what's going to happen to me if she quits praying? And I said, no, and I just hung up the phone. Yeah. So, uh, but I could, I could tell the conviction and I tell you, you know, if it hadn't been for Lynn praying, I probably wouldn't have returned home. And I think you would agree with this, that when those, whether it's it's adultery or any other sin that entices us, the bite is so much worse than the blessing, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. The, the pain is so much worse than any kind of pleasure that, that it, it brings. You know, when that emotional high wears off and the, the pain that those things cause is is just incomprehensible almost isn't it it is uh you know it tastes sweet i think it says john says you know he, he ate it was sweet but when he got down there it was bitter um same thing you can yeah. taste it it tastes sweet but when you digest it oh my goodness yes. it, it's just it's not you know sex outside of marriage has feels good for a while then the guilt is just it's not unbearable. worth it yeah, yeah. In, in in the you know hurting the ones whom we love most is that's another kind of element of this it's it's hard to and, and it goes beyond just a spouse i mean we hurt other family members we hurt children we hurt you know friends uh, church people you know i mean this really affects a lot of people doesn't it every life that you touch those people are affected yes whether you think they are or not they are one of our goals helping people through marital counseling or, and even premarital counseling is to help them set boundaries in their life to prevent adultery because no one is immune to that temptation or having that happen in their marriage if safeguards are not put up if any of us think we're above falling take heed <laughs> lest we fall and I, I've had people say it'll never happen to me and often you know that that does happen and so what are some some boundaries some safeguards that we can set up in our marriages 
to ensure that adultery doesn't happen? The first and most important thing a couple should do is pray together every day out loud. Now, when I say that, it's not the hellfire and brimstone or the 10 or 30 minute prayer. I'm talking about just a simple two minute prayer led by the husband. And this is what we teach couples on the weekend. Um, And husbands, surprisingly, sometimes wives have never heard their husbands pray for them. I, I, that's very common. Well, let me let me unpack this for a second. Sure. This is really interesting because I want to be really honest here. <laughs> the hardest person for me to pl- pray with is my wife. Yep. And I think, you tell me if I'm right on this, I think that is because she knows my faults more than anybody else. I feel kind of hypocritical sometimes praying with her. Is, is Am I on to something there? Are there other reasons, factors that play into this? Well, that's a common thing. Okay. I mean, you're right. The spouse knows your heart more than anybody else. Right. But they also know they will forgive you. Yeah. So forgiveness is the biggest part. Right. But I don't know how you how you have prayed in the past, but what we teach them is two things. You thank God for something about your spouse, either she, you know, how what a pure heart she has or this, that, and the other. Or what a good husband she has. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You could go that I'll route. use that tomorrow. <laughs> And then number two, ask a blessing on her. You know, give her, let her feel your peace, your love, your joy. Let her have a good day at work or just, yep. you know. And she does the same thing for you. That way it's short, it's sweet, and you're gone. Um, because when you pray for people, it's, it affects your heart. And it's kind of hard to look at somebody else and say, wait a minute. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. So that is very, very important is pray together. Right. And the other thing is, Another common denominator in marriage restored couples is that men fail to take their spiritual leadership seriously. Okay. Men are meant to be spiritual leaders of the home. Right. Period. I'm, don't you agree to that? Uh, absolutely, 100%. But men have, have shucked that responsibility and they've given these decisions over to the wives and the wives has had to make the decision. Right. And I have witnessed that women really love men who pray and they really love for men to be leaders. Right. And those two things right there are just... And when you're responsible for something, your decisions become different. Uh, you probably notice that in church or in organizations, people that have no responsibility will criticize. Right. Right? That's very true. <laughs> but the people that are in authority, they're very careful with their decisions. Same thing with marriages. If you're responsible and you feel that responsibility for your home, you're very careful of the decisions you make. So emotional affairs, I believe, are just as damaging as physical affairs. So would you agree that adultery is adultery? I mean, Jesus said, what, if you lust in your heart, that we're guilty of adultery, right? So aren't those just as damaging to marriages as physical activity? Absolutely, because actually when, you know, Eve was created, uh, Eve was created for Adam, and she was to be number one in his life. And if somebody else takes that position, that's just as bad as a physical act. Right. I have heard people say to me, "Talk, you know, this is a, a married woman or a married man, and they'll, they'll refer to somebody besides their spouse, spouse as the opposite sex and say, well, that's my best friend. And that, to me, is just a huge no. No, that's not your best friend. That mm. shouldn't be your best friend. And if it is, you need to cut that relationship off right now at the root. Would you agree with that? That's dangerous ground, isn't it? Yes, yeah, so their spouse should be their best friend. <laughs> so, so even outside of best friends, let's, let's take this even a little further. I think it's really dangerous to have really close friends 
of the opposite sex, to where you're sharing conversations that are deep, because that emotional bond, I know this from experience, can be connected. Well, absolutely. And usually what happens in those is that, you know, men uh, desire respect. Men, women desire love. Right. And during these conversations, you get the feeling that, you know, this person really respects me. So, and then your affection starts going toward that person. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and, and then you start to, to maybe lose that for your spouse, right? Because you, you, you can't have affection for both. It's one or the other, right? Absolutely. And so you're going down just a really, really dangerous path. And I know there's some flirting and things. that you, You've worked in, in different offices. Mm-hmm. I have as well in different corporate offices. And I've seen a lot of what they call innocent flirting. But I've learned this in, in my life really the hard way that there's really no innocent flirting, is there? No, you you know in the in the beginning you think there is. Well, I'm just going to have some fun, but um, usually where that path takes you is someplace you don't want to go and keeps you longer than you want to be. One of the things that I try to be really careful of is to never say anything negative about my wife to someone of the opposite sex. I tr- let, let me just rephrase this a little bit. I shouldn't talk negatively about my <laughs> wife at all, but especially to those of the opposite sex. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, this is where prayer comes in. Um, as I have witnessed, when you pray for your spouse and you go on, and you say something negative, boy, you're convicted. Right. So that's where that daily prayer really comes in handy, Chris. Is right. That, uh, it, it, it helps you guard your heart. Right. It really does. Yeah. And then if, if I were to share that, you know, if, if I were to share something personal like that with someone of the opposite sex outside of my spouse, that can be really mis- misinterpreted, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Because uh, now they get hooked, not hooked, but they think, well, he, he's interested in me. Right. So I'm going to do what I can to get him to talk to me more. One of the most important things I believe is that, that a husband and wife come together and they set up their own boundaries within their marriage. Oh, absolutely, and the technique that we teach our couples on uh, our weekends is that they're either, they do come together, and this is how you develop your boundaries without, in a non-threatening, um, without really getting into an argument. Right. So they can establish their boundaries, and which is uh, they can live by. Right. Well, let's talk about communication. And okay. I, and this will kind of dovetail from what we were just talking about with, with setting those boundaries. So... Conflict happens in every marriage. Absolutely. Right? So if, if someone is thinking, hey, I need to find somebody else, and then I, I won't have as much conflict, that's actually not the truth because they'll be in that marriage as well. Mm-hmm. Right? So conflict exists in every marriage. Now, I had a pastor. I, I, I love this this phrase that, that he would use. He said, you know, my wife and I don't argue, but we have moments of intense Christian <laughs> fellowship. So I've kind of taken that on, and I will say this. I've been married 20 years, believe it or not, and my wife and I have had over those 20 years a few moments of intense Christian <laughs> fellowship. And I have I've seen through our own experience and through the experience of many other people that we've ministered to, there are two really unhealthy ways that, that conflict is handled. One of, one of them is this. It seems really noble, but it's just to sweep it under the rug and act like it doesn't ha- that it doesn't didn't happen or doesn't matter, and that again that seems really really noble. It seems really magnanimous, and uh, that it seems like a really good thing to do for people. But it doesn't work. That's one of our sessions that we have is uh, to how do you handle conflict? Because right. 
it happens like you said in every marriage and it's either due to your basic needs or values but you and your spouse you have different opinions right and when you come into a conflict you need to, to, to resolve that so we come up with uh, constructive fighting okay right. we, we, we give them rules for fighting okay and one of them is go ahead and fight go ahead have it out but do not finish until it's complete I mean don't don't walk away because you're mad right. don't walk away because uh, you don't want to listen anymore you know right. some people say well I don't want to talk about it anymore what you're really saying is I don't want to listen to you anymore and we teach them how to listen during fighting as well as what you do in fighting and one of the rules is no physical abuse right no matter how heated the confrontation no physical abuse but you know we just give them some guidelines don't fight in front of your kids or the preacher because right. usually when they do that they try to get these folks to their side right you know right. so we just one-on-one uh, -on -one fight have it out and finish the fight uh, and, and you can call a truce but if you call a truce don't bring it up unless the other partner is willing right but once you settle it it's settled and it's been forgiven move on right and um, some couples have really really thanked us for that because it works you know with, with sweeping things under the rug what happens is that's like you know, it may seem like a, a, a small problem, a small situation, but what happens, those kind of compound, don't they, those small instances. And that'd be like, to me, uh, you know, having a, a cut or a scrape, something that, that needs some treatment, but you think, ah, oh, it's not that bad. Come on, I'm a man. I don't, <laughs> I don't have to put any Neosporin on it. Don't need a Band-Aid. Don't need stitches, whatever it might be. Well, if you let that go, infection can set in, right? And you can end up losing an, an arm or, or worse. And so that's kind of what I feel like happens with couples who don't communicate, don't work out their conflicts, sweep things under the rug. Pretty soon, whether it's months or years down the road, this these problems begin to fester and grow. And all of a sudden, there's a blow up and it becomes a lot bigger problem than what it needed to be. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You know, that was one of the things uh, in, in our marriage is Lynn could out-talk me. She could yell louder than I could. She had more words to use, and I just kind of clammed up. So really, our issues were never, ever resolved. I would just like, um, I would be like a turtle. Right. Uh, if I thought, if I saw the storm get, clouds gathering and it turning dark, I would just withdraw into my shell until she got through and I would come out again. But we never resolved anything. She got over her mad spell, and and I just weathered the storm, and we thought everything was okay. But it wasn't. It wasn't. It festered, like you said. Right. Festered and festered, and finally it was too much for either of us to handle. The, the other option, you know, that I see a lot is just complete blow up. That's not healthy either. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's just, it, it doesn't work. In, in the heat of the moment, here, here's what I've, I've learned. Words really matter. And when I'm in the heat of the moment and I'm just, I'm not prayed up, I'm not thinking through what I'm saying, I'm being defensive and I'm yelling and I'm screaming, what happens is I tend to say things in that moment that I don't really mean, but I can't take those things back. They're said. And even when we don't mean them, we can apologize, we can forgive, you know, the, the other person can forgive. But they've been said, and that can really, really do some damage. I just don't think that's healthy. It is not. And the main thing that we do on our weekend is they communicate through writing and dialogue. What they do is they write to a question, and then they have their spouse, they separate, 
One stays here and one's over there. And they will write to a question. They will come together, exchange notebooks, and read what the other has written two times. Because the first time you read it, it's kind of like, okay. But you read it two times. And then you talk about what you've written. And it would be surprisingly how intense things you can write about but yet can't talk about. Right. Uh, because they don't escalate into an argument when you, they're reading it. And that's what we do all weekend is write and, and to our spouse. Right. And then we read and we dialogue. And uh, they can resolve a lot of issues uh, that way. Right. That's such a good practice. Yeah, I, I love you. When you write, you mean what you say and you say what you mean. You have time to think through process without just spitting words out. And so that, that's, that's great advice. So one of the things that I've learned in, in resolving conflict as well is if I'm mad at my spouse, if, we, if there's something that we have some disagreement if we have some sort of conflict, there's it's almost without fail that both of us have a part in that conflict. It's never just one party or the other. And so I have found it really helpful before I begin talking to her about what she's done wrong is to start by what I've done wrong. Again, my marriage was about to end in divorce just you know, less than a decade ago. And God has done tremendous things. Not only are my, my wife and I still together, but I, I love her with all my heart. I cherish her, and I think she cherishes me. To this person who is sitting there thinking, there's no hope for me, God can do anything. Through Him, all things are possible. And I want to say, not only could God can God fix the marriage and put it back to where it was, He can take it beyond that. He can make it better than it has absolutely ever been. So what, what would you tell somebody that is, is really struggling right now, feels like they're at the end of their rope, that divorce is the only option? Uh, number one is don't give up. Uh, uh, Lynn, my wife, did not give up. She continued to pray. The way she prayed changed. Um, as I said, she prayed for my salvation. Her heart changed. When she had a heart, uh, when her heart changed, she she was acting differently, and uh, her motive was different. Uh, and at the same time, my heart was beginning to change. So when I returned home, the person that I had known as Lynn wasn't there anymore. Had a new person, and we joke about it now. Uh, I say, if I'd have known our marriage would have been this good, I'd have left 20 years ago. And she said, well, if it was this, if I'd have known it, I would want you to leave 30 years ago. <laughs> so we, we joke about it now, but it was, but, you know, even when I came back home, uh, we still struggled. She struggled uh, if she could ever trust me again. She struggled uh, with uh, just doubt. Didn't struggle with forgiveness. She That was already taken care of. But we... We started going to church together. We started praying together, um, trying to do things uh, as a couple. And uh, there's some things I didn't do. I didn't go because she wouldn't go with me. And so don't give up. I mean, if, if God can put me and Lynn back together after two and a half years of separation, after just tons and tons of stuff of hurting each other for those many years and being truly forgiven, then couples, they'll, they'll comment and say, well, you know, if y'all can make it, we know we can make it. So I want to encourage you, don't give up. Uh, pray together. Go to church together. Um, and if, you know, you need Jesus in your marriage. Yeah, that's, that's key, isn't it? <laughs> it is. Yeah. Um, there's a video that we play on our weekend. It's called by Chris August. Yeah. It's Jesus Calling. 
Yes. <laughs> He's telling you there's still hope. There's <laughs> still hope. Um, but we play a video uh, called Restored uh, by Chris August, and uh, pretty much that's what he says, you know. So if you get a chance, go on, on YouTube and, and Google that. Um, real powerful. But you need Jesus. I right. mean, you can't. Communication with, with your spouse can only take you so far. Right. You and can only do so much. And, and that's what I would say is that, you know what, you're probably in a weak spot right now. Here's the thing. You can't fix your marriage, but he can. And so it's going to take great humility, a lot of prayer. And in your weakness, remember that Christ is strong. And so thank God that he doesn't leave us alone in this. Marriage is a blessing. It's meant to be a blessing. And here's here's what I know. The Lord hates divorce. Amen. He hates it. That means he's for my marriage. Mm-hmm. And if God be for me, if he's for my marriage, who can be against me? He, he's going to give me everything. He has given me everything I need to make my marriage work. And so I, I encourage you listeners, hang in there. Believe God. Trust him. You know, I love that verse. Trust the Lord. Proverbs 3. Trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. He'll do it in your marriage. He'll do it in any other area of life. There is hope. Don't give up. Amen? Amen. And so I know one of the things that would be really helpful to anybody listening is to attend one of your conferences. How can they get more information about that? They can go online at marriagerestored.com, and they they will also see a link to marriageencounter.com. That is, like I said, just a a weekend to keep from drifting apart. So, But you can go online. It's under the umbrella of Assemblies of God. So um, I think our next one will be in Columbus in March. In March, okay. Mm-hmm. I hope you'll go on and, and check that out. If you're part of our real-life community, I just encourage you to get to know Don and Lynn. They're just neat people. I, I know they'd love to get to know you as well. Don, it's been such a pleasure uh, having you with me today, and I know this is going to help a lot of people. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Pastor. Appreciate it. Amen, and thank you all for listening. God bless.